0: The call of the gospel is one that requires crazy commitment from you. The call of the gospel is one that demands sacrificial surrender of you. This morning, I want you to know that Jesus is calling you to follow him at any cost. Today, I wonder, is there anything That you are withholding from the Lord. Let me ask it another way Is there anything that, if Jesus were to come and ask it from you, it would cause you to not want to follow him at all? If you and I know that Jesus is Christ, then we will follow him at any cost. It is with that thought in mind that I invite you to take your Bible and turn to the gospel according to Mark chapter 10 as we continue our study of this powerful gospel. Today we'll be in Mark chapter 10. I'll begin reading at verse 17 and conclude at verse 31. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 10. I'll begin reading at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. I'll tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, to the preaching, to the understanding, and to the obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. The story I just read for you is found in three out of four gospel accounts. It seems that all three of these renderings give us greater clarity to the deep identity of this man. It is Matthew who tells us. That he was young. It is Mark who communicates his sincerity, for Mark says that he ran up to Jesus, fell on his knees at the feet of Christ. It is Luke that speaks of his prominence, for he calls him a ruler. This rich young ruler was one who probably was not a political ruler, in all likelihood, not a synagogue ruler. He was one who wielded a great deal of influence in his community. When we see all three of these portraits put together, it becomes abundantly clear that this man would seemingly have it all. He had youthful vigor, limitless wealth, powerful influence. He had the things that most people spend a lifetime trying to achieve, and once they get those things, spend a fortune trying to keep them. This man had it all, and yet this one who had everything seemingly wondered if he had salvation. It's that nagging question that drove him to Jesus. It's that, it's that burning question that drove him to his knees. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? embedded in that question is a flaw the flaw is that this rich young ruler thought he could earn his salvation what must i do to inherit eternal life he thought that somehow god's mercy could be merited he thought that somehow he could achieve the salvation only god can give what must i do to inherit eternal life For certainly he had done a lot of things to accomplish a great many things. So he thought to himself in the same vein, What must I do to inherit God's salvation? Perhaps it would have been much better had he simply asked Jesus, What must I believe to inherit eternal life? Or what must I accept? to inherit eternal life or what must I know to inherit eternal life but this rich young ruler says none of those things he says what must I do to inherit eternal life there is an embedded flaw in his question when he goes up to Jesus he calls him good teacher good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life and it seems that Jesus is quite snippy when he responds why do you call me good It would seem as if that Jesus was just a tad bit agitated at this man's identity of him and his request to him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Now, why would Jesus be so snippy toward this rich young ruler? And the answer is because that man had just demoted Jesus. He simply called him a good teacher. The rich young ruler takes the middle ground, which many people throughout the ages have taken the middle ground when it comes to Christ. Individuals who say, I'm not quite ready to exalt him as Christ. On the other hand, I I don't want to just dismiss him as irrelevant. So I think he's probably a cut above the average person. So this man just simply identified Jesus as a good teacher. And in the process, he was demoting Jesus. Jesus acknowledged that he's not merely a good man. He's the God man. He's not another God, a lesser God, a creation of God. He is God in the flesh. And so when this rich young ruler comes and identifies Jesus in the middle ground, the middle road, just simply saying, you're a good teacher, he had divinely demoted Jesus. Because my friend, Jesus must either be Lord or a liar. If you take his words honestly, just at face value as you read the gospel, Jesus must be either cosmic king or cosmic con. He must be the holy one or a hoax. He must be the one worthy of our praise or we are to be the most pitied in all the world. Either Jesus is the one who is lovable or the one who is laughable. We must acknowledge he's either for real or a phony. Jesus is either king or con. Nowhere in between. So Jesus, realizing that this rich young ruler had just demoted him, he said, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. If you call me good, then you must also equate me with God. Only God is good. He then proceeds to summarize the top 10 commandments. Jesus gives this individual those commandments which are horizontal in their nature, how we deal one with the other do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. Do not covet, honor your father and mother. The rich young ruler said, all these I've kept since I was a boy. If that's what it takes to get into your kingdom, go ahead and punch my ticket. I'm in. If that's all it takes, I've been... Keeping those since I was a boy. For him to say I was keeping them since a boy, what he's saying is I've been obeying those since the age of 12. For at the age of 12, a Jewish boy was then one who was declared responsible for his actions. And this rich young ruler is declaring all those things I have kept since I was a boy. Now, either this guy is arrogant or ignorant, one of the two. He says, I've been doing all those things. I know how to live. I know how to treat people. I know what God expects. I know the morality code that God has given to us uh, through the law of Moses. I have been doing that ever since I was 12 years of age. If that's all it takes, then go ahead and declare me in your kingdom. For him to say, I've been keeping all these since I was a boy is is not to say I am perfect, but what he is saying is that some people think that I am. For him to say, I've been keeping those since a boy, he's not saying that he's sinless, but he is saying, I'm probably not far from it. I'm probably better than your average person that you come across Jesus, so I've been keeping those things since I was a boy. Now, before we write this guy off, Can I just acknowledge to you that he has a lot that is likable in him? Apparently, this man does not have an addiction. Apparently, he doesn't have a destructive behavior. At first reading of the story, it would appear that this man does not have a double lifestyle. He's the kind of guy that we would love to be here at this church. I mean, he's got it all. Um, he's got everything the world has to offer he's the one that we would ask to chaperone our students to the summer beach retreat he's the one that you would want to let coach junior's baseball travel team why because apparently he doesn't cuss and fuss he doesn't stop and storm out i mean he controls his demeanor This is the kind of guy that you would want to teach our seventh grade boys Sunday school. Why? Because he doesn't drink, smoke, or chew or go up with girls who do. And so this is the kind of guy that you want to pour into our students. This is the kind of guy you want to be here at the church teaching and leading. This is the guy that every parent would want to lead the overnight camping trip. Because everybody feels comfortable with him. He's respectable. He is honorable. He knows right from wrong. And he's been demonstrating that rightness for a long time in his life. He seems to be a great guy. He seems to be one that, that we would long for to be here and to be leading and to be one to be part of this faith family. When he says, all these I've kept since I was a boy, what he's saying is that I've been doing all the good things that my culture tells me I ought to do. And so if if I can somehow earn God's salvation, if somehow I can merit entrance into your kingdom that you have come to establish, then just add that to my list of already accomplishments that I have in my lifetime. This one who seemingly had everything, just wanted to make sure he could check off the box of his religion so that he had the salvation that Jesus was bringing into the kingdom. It's at this moment that Jesus said, you still lack one thing. Go. Sell everything that you have. Give money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When this man heard that instruction, his face was downcast. His face fell and he walked away sad. Matthew and Mark both tell us that this man who had great wealth walked away sad because he wasn't willing to give Jesus what he was asking. He wasn't willing to sell all of this stuff, give money to the poor, that way he'd have treasure in heaven and then come and follow Christ. Jesus was asking for something that he wasn't willing to give. Jesus was coming in and taking something from him that he was not willing to allow him to come in and take. And the prospect of Jesus coming in and taking away his wealth caused him to say, I am not going to follow you. Remember, the call of the gospel is a call of crazy commitment from you. The call of the gospel is a call that demands sacrificial surrender of you. This call of the gospel that God has for you is a call that he issues to you and to me to follow him at any cost. What was Jesus doing when he identified this man's propensity towards wealth? Was Jesus making a universal statement that anyone who wants to follow after me must sell everything they have, give the money to the poor, that way they'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Is Jesus adding another layer to salvation? Is it more than just repent and believe? Is it more than just deny self and come and follow me? Is it more than taking up the cross? Now is Jesus saying that if you're going to follow him, you've got to submit yourself to abject poverty. You've got to sell everything you have and give to the poor. If that is so, then Jesus is requiring something that even the rabbis did not require. In fact, the rabbis pretty much set it at a cap of about 20% because they said that poverty is worse than the 10 plagues of Egypt. They said that poverty was a sure sign of, of God's condemnation upon you. So they did not want people to give away everything. They wanted to put a limit and a cap to it. Because if you subjected yourself to poverty, according to the rabbinical statement, that was worse than the ten plagues of Egypt. So is Jesus... Going beyond the rabbis, is Jesus saying to this man and to every man, is he saying to this individual and every individual, if you're going to follow me, then go home, put a for sale sign in your yard, sell everything you have, give to the poor, then come and follow Christ. Is Jesus making this a universal statement for all followers? The quick answer is no. But before I get you off the hook too easily, Can I just remind you that 25% of all of the parables and teachings of Jesus have to deal with money? Because Jesus knows that our goods can become our gods, that it is so tempting for us to be gripped by our very own greed, for us to be possessed by our possessions, it is, it is quite natural, it's quite sinful, it's quite uh, normal for human individuals to, to wrestle with wealth and wrestle with money so that we become more dependent on money even than the Messiah. So, so Jesus Uh, while he's not making a universal statement that all people have to have abject poverty in order to follow Christ, he is cautioning every reader of the text to sit there and say, now wait a minute, we've got to ask the question, does money have a grip on my life the way it had the grip on this rich young ruler's life? When he said of Jesus, Jesus, you're asking too much. I cannot give that. For this rich young ruler was willing to give Jesus a lot. But not everything. The case could be made that the rich young ruler was willing to give his morality and his marriage and his children and his relationships, his devotion, even some of his time, but not all of his wealth. He couldn't stomach the notion of surrendering all of his stuff to the Savior. That was something that was too far-fetched. He could not do it. So he simply walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth. What is Jesus doing in this moment? I think that Jesus is surgically revealing to this man the idol in his heart. All of us have idols. The interesting thing about an idol is that an idol can be a good thing. A good thing that becomes a God thing. And a good thing that becomes a God thing is a lousy God thing. An idol is anything that takes your attention, your affection away from the Lord. It's anything that steals your obedience from Christ to something else. It can be just about anything. And in this man's case, it was his wealth. He had a lot of things. He had enormous stuff, and he could not fathom the notion of giving all of that unto the Lord. So Jesus was surgically revealing this man's idol. Funny thing about idols is that normally we can see other people's idols long before we can see our own idols. We can identify somebody else's idol, the the problem they have in their life, the the hang up, the, the issue that is keeping them from ultimate obedience and crazy obedience unto Christ. We can identify those things in other people far sooner than we can see the idols in our own life. But let me tell you this, idols reveal themselves in their ugly, vivid color at the prospect of Jesus taking it away from us. The moment we get the sense that Jesus is calling this from us, whatever the this may be, the moment we get the sense that Jesus is identifying this, surgically revealing what our idol is, that idol reveals itself because when Jesus says, I want X from you, we cling to X. You can have anything but X. You can't have it. And I wonder, I wonder what are the idols of your heart? What are those things that if Jesus were to ask it from you, If Jesus were to come in and take it from you, you would find it very difficult to follow after Jesus. If there's anything that fits that description, my friend, that just might be your idol. Some of us idolize our children, do we not? Certainly children are gifts from God. They are given to us on loan for us to steward everything at our disposal to point them back to Christ. But you and I both know parents that idolize their children. They worship the ground the children walk on. They don't just give the children their needs and greeds, but also their joys and toys. Anything they want, their child gets. And Johnny can't do anything wrong, and Sally would never do anything mean, spirited, because that's my Johnny and that's my Sally. And so there are some parents that almost idolize their children. And the proof of that is there are far too many marriages that deteriorate, Once the last child leaves home, because there are some marriages that stay together just for the sake of the children. And there's an enormous amount of marriages that just literally fall apart after that last child leaves. And even further still, if those parents have a child that has a terminal illness, instead of running to the Lord for help, They'll get angry at God for what he's permitted to happen in their child's life. Now, verbally, they may say, I'm praying to God and I know that God can heal. But privately, I'm talking about privately, privately, they get angry at God. They wag a finger in the face of God and they say, God, if you don't heal my son, I'm done. If you don't rescue my daughter, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. I quit. It's all over. And there are some people that where their, their own relation with God hangs in the balance of whether or not God steps up in the way they want him to step up and heal their son or their daughter. And oh, my friend, if that's you, your child could be your idol. And the only way that that's revealed is at the prospect of that child being taken away from you. I can follow Jesus so long as he doesn't take my children away. I can follow Jesus so long as he doesn't send them to an African hut. I can follow Jesus so long as he does not demand of my children more than I want him to demand of them. Oh, my friend, that could be an idol that Jesus surgically reveals to you. Maybe maybe your idol is like this man's idol. Maybe it's wealth. And this man's wealth was revealed as his idol at the prospect that that wealth was going to be taken away. And the moment he thought to himself that wealth is going to be taken away, he thought, there's no way I can surrender that unto the Lord. He could not lose what he had gained in order to gain what he would not lose. There was no way he could profit this. There was no way he could leverage this. There was no way he was willing to do this. He had limits to his obedience. And maybe there's some of you that if God were to take your job, Or your home. It's your dream home. Or your car. Or your savings account. Or your standard of living. Or any other thing that you love. Your boat. Your golf clubs. Your closet. That's full of things. If the Lord were to take those things from you. If he were to require that of you. If if he were to tell you I need you to sell this. In order to give to the to the missionary work of the church, I need for you to surrender this unto me. You would say, Lord Jesus, I could give you a lot, but I'm not gonna give you that. It's the moment that you begin to think of the prospect of the Lord taking away your baby, taking away your car, taking away your stuff, taking away your house, taking away your job. And at that moment, you say, Lord, if you were to do that, I don't know. That may be the, the line that I draw in the sand. I don't know if I could follow you if you required this of me, my friend. If you're having these kind of conversations, that reveals the idol that's in your heart. Most idols I know are good things, but good things are lousy God things when we give them the place of prominence in our lives. And idols are revealed to us in the moment that Jesus says, that's what I want from you. No, 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 you can't have that. That's mine. Jesus says the call of the gospel is one of crazy commitment. The call of the gospel is one of sacrificial surrender. This is the call of the gospel upon you and upon me. And if we know who Jesus is as Christ, then we will be willing to follow him at any cost. The reality is that uh, every person listening to my voice is probably richer than this rich young ruler. Let me just prove it in this way. Most, if not all of you, will go home in a car today. You'll go into your house and you will probably at some point this afternoon watch a television and many of our televisions are high definition. And then when you're thirsty... You'll go to the kitchen sink, and at the turn of a faucet, you'll have cold water in your house. And then you can go to your freezer and get ice. You can go to your refrigerator and get some good food. And when the time comes, you can go to an indoor toilet with indoor plumbing system at your disposal. I say that because none of that the rich young ruler had. He didn't have any of that. He didn't have a car. He didn't have water. He didn't have electricity. He didn't have indoor plumbing. He didn't have a television. He didn't have any of those things. You and I are far wealthier than the rich young ruler. And yet in his day, he said, no, the things that I have, I'm not willing to give up to the Lord. And I wonder, is there anything in your life that if God were to ask it of you, if the Lord were to take it from you, it would cause you to say, Jesus I cannot follow you anymore. My friend, when that happens, that is Jesus surgically revealing an idol of the heart. This man walked away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus didn't run after him. All the disciples thought to themselves, Jesus, you better go get that guy. I mean, he's got everything. You need to renegotiate the deal, Jesus. You need to go after him and say, okay, you can keep some of your stuff and have some of Jesus because some of Jesus is better than no Jesus. So you've got to go, Jesus, and renegotiate the deal. You've got to go and pursue him. You've got to run after him. Jesus doesn't run after him. He lays the claims of the gospel clearly at the feet of this man. And this man chooses to walk away and Jesus doesn't run after him. You and I would run after him. We would say, we need that guy. We need that guy in our church. We need that guy on our team. We need that guy uh, here in the faith. family. we need that guy in our teaching ministry. We need that guy. We need that guy. We need that guy. You better go run after him, pastor. But Jesus says, no, I'm not running after him. In fact, Jesus makes a joke in this moment. He tries to make a funny right here in this very serious, tense moment. Jesus says, oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are beside themselves because they thought that earthly wealth was a sure sign of God's blessing and favor. And Jesus says, not once but twice, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples laughed at the joke of Jesus as much as you are laughing at the joke of Jesus. But my friends, let me tell you, that's an attempt of Jesus to say something funny. It's an attempt of him to make a joke. He's saying, listen, it's easier for the for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man who's depending on his wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And people have tried to explain this hilarious humor of Christ. They've tried to explain this joke. they tried to say, well, what Jesus is saying is that, that beside the city wall, right by the gate, there was a little crack in the wall that any camel, if he needed to get into that city, he would have to shrink down and scoot and shimmy his way through that eye of the needle. Friend, if a camel needed to get into the city, that camel would go through the gate just like every other animal and every other person. That camel's not going to shimmy his way through a little crack in the wall. That camel's going to go right through the gate just like you go right through the gate. Jesus is not making an analogy of sorts. He is cracking a joke. He's saying, listen, the camel is the largest Palestinian animal, animal, and the eye of a needle is the smallest hole. That camel's got a better shot of getting through the eye of a sewing needle than a rich man who's idolized his wealth has at getting into God's kingdom. Peter, James, and John, and the other boys, they say, Jesus, how can this be? If he's not in, who can be saved? Because they lived in a culture where financial blessing was the blessing of God. So, Jesus, what are you telling me? Are you redefining the terms? Are you, are you re uh, describing what God's blessing looks like? If, if a rich person is not a sure fit into the kingdom, then who can be saved? Because, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow after you. And Jesus says, I, I know. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Listen, anything that you surrender, Jesus says to his disciples... It doesn't go unnoticed. God knows what you've surrendered. And some of you have given up homes and fields, land and jobs. Some of you have sacrificed time away from wife and children, mother and father, sister and brothers. Some of you have given up a lot to come and follow me. And Jesus says, I want you to know that whatever you sacrifice has not gone unnoticed by God. God knows everything. And in fact, what you're going to receive is a hundred times over. He simply calls it eternal life. That the eternal life that you have is far better than anything you have to sacrifice. The eternal life that I give, the eternal life that I secure, the eternal life that I'm going to make uh, purchased for you at Calvary's cross, this eternal life is worth far more than you could ever give up. And by the way, Jesus says, I want you to know God knows everything that you sacrifice. Jesus identifies two primary things that keep people from following him. It is family and finances. And in this passage, Jesus says, listen, if you've given up your finances, if you've given up uh, time away from your family, if you've had to sacrifice some earthly things, it pales in comparison to the eternal life that only God can give in Jesus Christ. So in essence, what Jesus is saying to the disciples is that God is able. Not only does God know, but God is able What is impossible with man is very possible with God. So you just depend on God. Why? Because God is able. When the circumstances become overwhelming, God is able. When the cancer is back, God is able. When the pain is overwhelming, God is able. When the marriage is on the rocks, God is able. When the prodigal is in the far country, God is able. When everything is falling apart, God is able. When there's more uh, month than money, God is able. When the bills are piling up, God is able. When you wonder if you can pray, God is able. When you wonder if you can make another day, God is able. If you wonder, can I make another step, God is able. When you think to yourself, I'm going to throw in the towel, God is able. When you wonder if he's ever going to answer you, God is able. When it seems as if you can't see your faith your hand in front of your face god is able what jesus telling the disciples i'm telling you today that god is able this call of the gospel is a call for crazy commitment and sacrificial surrender but jesus wants everybody to know that god god our god is able so all to jesus i surrender and all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him and in his presence I will daily live. So I surrender it all. All to thee, my blessed savior, I surrender it all. This morning I wonder, are you willing to follow Jesus at any cost? The call the gospel Jesus extends to you today. And the call the gospel is a call that will require crazy commitment from you. The call of the gospel is a call that will demand sacrificial surrender of you. But this morning are you willing to follow Jesus at any cost? Don't ever forget that Mark's original audience were persecuted believers living in the mid-60s of the first century, suffering enormous persecution, enormous execution, enormous pain. And some of them were shrinking back from the faith. And Mark wrote this gospel to say, listen, if you know who Jesus is, he's Christ. Because he's Christ, he wants you to follow him at any cost. Following Jesus at any cost. Why? Because he is able. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, we give you this invitation. And Father, today I pray that if there's somebody here who has never surrendered to the call of the gospel... Today may it be the day of their salvation. Please, Lord, draw them to the front to take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I need to surrender to Jesus. I'm not taking the middle ground any longer. I'm ready to exalt him as Christ. Father, please, please, somebody's here today who needs to be saved. Please let it happen today. And Father, there are many people who are here today and they follow you, but they follow you with limits and boundaries. And Father, today you are doing surgical maneuvering in their life to reveal the idols of the heart. And any idol that you have revealed, help us to lay it at your altar. May this altar be full of individuals, Christians who come, who say, all to thee, I surrender. Father, there's somebody here who needs to be part of this faith family, let them join the church today. In Jesus' name, amen.